the Sunday after Easter. Would you say out loud, the resurrection matters? I want to share this word with you real quickly. This is from our from Mary Davis as she was praying over the church and considering uh, the empty tomb in the toddler's room. She said, I kept meditating on the empty tomb. I felt the Lord Jesus saying, it is finished and I am alive forevermore. She, she says, ask, ask my church, have you left your grave clothes behind? Grave clothes represent the, the past. And Jesus says, don't go, pa- don't go back into your cave. Pick up your old life of hurts and unforgiveness and addictions and regrets. Jesus Christ, by his precious blood, closed up the grave of the, the cave of your past. And the Lord says, step into all that I have for you. Yeah, yeah, we, we, can, we can go back to the tomb and rejoice that it's empty. But don't go back in there and start picking up grave clothes and putting them back on. Amen. All right, let's go to the word today. We're going to conclude our discussion on the the significance of this season. The resurrection matters. Everybody say it again out loud. The resurrection matters. We celebrate Easter on a weekend, right? We do. We celebrate it on a weekend. But uh, it is not just a holiday for uh, ham or just for eggs, right? Now, listen, we fixed this last week. We fixed this on Sunday. Anybody gets up? I know people get real high church and they say, oh, we shouldn't have the Easter eggs because it's not about Jesus. Remember, why do we have Easter eggs? Because all of our eggs are in this basket. So it's good. You have faith now. Good. We're celebrating the fact <laughs> that all of our hope, all of our confidence is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There we go. There's my church. There it is. Okay. The resurrection of Christ is a reality that touches and affects every arena of life, both this life and the next. Last week, we spent considerable time answering the question, did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? And if you have any doubt, you shouldn't. There's so much to say about his life, and that so much that was not said last week. I think perhaps one of the greatest apologetics for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the music about him. Pardon the grammar, but, I'll, but I say it for effect. Ain't nobody has the music like Jesus. Nobody sings so effervescently, joyously, sacrificially, unstoppably. Nobody, no, there's no other name that, that's, that stirs up so many songs and he, songs that are written and, written and written and written and sung and sung and sung. And the joy of the church, not, I, I do have a little bit of the privilege of being in several different continents. And every continent I go, when the church of Jesus Christ gathers, they, the, 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 the thing at the very minimum that they have in common is that they erupt in joyful song over Jesus. And there's nobody like that. Nobody. Besides all of the history and testimony and all that stuff. The resurrection of Jesus Christ offers to us, it promises to us, immeasurable and irresistible hope. And it provides the deepest and most unshakable assurance. It is the difference. Would you all say the difference? Let's go to that slide there. Thanks, Bob. Good job. I want to talk to you today about this difference. Now, I'm not going to cover it all because there's 
There's too much to cover. But I'll say some important things today, and I'm praying that with each of these points that the Holy Spirit will, will have breakthrough into your soul, that you'll hear them, and that you will be affected, challenged, nudged by them. So, Lord, help us today. Why does the resurrection matter? Let me just answer this in four simple statements. Why does the resurrection matter? Because it means that Jesus will do what he said he will do. Jesus will do what he said he will do. Meaning this, Jesus said that he would be that he would be put to death and that he would rise again. Time and again Jesus told his followers I will be handed over, put to death, and then I will rise again. Now, in hindsight, we, you and many of us in this room have a, a glad and ready amen. Jesus said he'd rise again. Oh, amen. And we shouted down. If, if, if we were able somehow, and it's, it's impossible because of time and experience, but if we were able somehow to bring ourselves back to that moment, listening to Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus of Nazareth, the one called Christ, and we are his followers, and we're actually, many of us are still deeply hoping that somehow he's going to start the, the, the throne of David again. He's going to overthrow the Romans, and, and, and we have some idea that, there, that he's a, a prophet, but we're kind of hoping that he, there's a sword somewhere. <laughs> I mean, really, they were like, eh, somewhere, you got a sword in there somewhere, Jesus? Right? And then he turns to them time and again and says, I'm going to be handed over to death, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back. The, you, sometimes I know you've heard it. I've heard it. You, you've heard people say, how come the disciples just didn't understand? He told them, but they didn't get it. Because those sta that statement, I'm going to die, but I'll be back, that's impossible. They, you have to give them, at least give them the benefit of the doubt to think he must be speaking metaphorically. Like he's going to go into the wilderness and come back or something. But they, how could they wrap their heads around something that's never been? It was impossible. Everybody just say it was impossible. Just let it be. It was they, he, he, but, but Jesus said, I'm going to do this. Mark, chap, Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, Jesus said, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Then, as we read last week, at his resurrection, the angels reminded the, the women of what Jesus had said. The angels say to the women, but go... Tell his disciples and Peter. <laughs> that's, a whole, that's a story for another day, but that rascal who's feeling bad right now, make sure to tell him. Huh. Heaven gossip. How'd the angels know that Peter had denied the Lord? That's heavenly gossip. That's good stuff. Go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. He kept his word. 
it, I know it's easy to say, oh, he kept his word. He showed up. He came to my baseball game. Oh, you kept your word. You showed up for lunch today. You, you kept your word. You were home on time for dinner. Yay. Those are nice things to say. But you kept your word. You rose from the dead. Jesus claimed that he would do something that was impossible that no one else had ever done, and he staked his whole reputation on this promise, and he kept it. He is the only one who has this kind of credibility. The point is, though, that is not all that he said. He said, okay, first of all, let's repeat it again. He said, I'm going to be betrayed crucified, put to death, three days later, I will rise. Then he said, I'm leaving. I'm going to the Father, but I will come back. He said he'd be back. One, two, where's Grandma? Grandma glows. She's got the, she's got the jazz, okay? He said the same guy. The same guy who said, I'm going to die, be dead for three days, but I'll be back. The same guy said, I'm leaving. I'm going to receive a kingdom. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I will be back. And time has passed, and days have passed, and generations have passed. And it might be easy at times for the church to think, ah, I don't know. And it happened in the early days of the church. That's why the Apostle Peter wrote, ah, be careful. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some define slowness, be careful. He is patient. He wants everyone to come to repentance. God is playing the long game here. There's a whole lot of people he wants in heaven. But know this, he is coming. How do I know that he's coming? Because he rose. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 actually says this. Do not let your heart be troubled. This is the, the fact that he is coming back should, should speak directly to the, to the most inner part of every believer. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The same one who said he would rise said he would return. The same one who said he would rise said he would return. The hope of his return is one of the fundamental truths of the New Testament believer. 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 18, he said, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that, so that you will not grieve as those who, as the rest who, do, who have no hope. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and, rem and remain until the coming of the Lord, someone say the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. No manger scenes. No silent night. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I was going to say that's why the Pentecostals get their shout on in church. But that would have been a cheap thing to say, so I didn't. That would have been an easy amen. We shout because Jesus does. What's the matter with you guys? He's not going to descend from heaven with quiet acquiescence. For the Lord, I can read that again. For the Lord himself, that's a Mufasa. Are you ready for that? You ready for that? You ready for the Lord himself to descend from heaven? He's going to rend the sky, shake and quake. Woo! He's not going to be the only one shouting. He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. He's going to wake a whole bunch of people up. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort, encourage, nourish each other with these words. Keep these words in front of you. Keep these words in front of you. He is coming again. He is coming again. He is coming again. The same one who rose is returning. This is core to our assurance, core to our motivation. Friends, I don't feel it in this room, but there are folks who need to repent of unbelief or of ambivalence over Christ's return. To not prize this promise is to live as if he were not coming. When we live as if he were not coming, the parables that Jesus himself told us, that leads, that leads us to live unfaithful, unproductive, and unfruitful lives. I was meditating on this this week again. And I, I'm the first one to climb under, the, climb under the burden of truth and let it just hopefully get on me. I said, Lord, your church, think about throughout history, Lord, your church, your church is never, uh, never as effective, as fervent, as, as, as and fruitful in the world, as when she is living passionately with expectation of your return. It is the expectation of it is it is it was the expect it was even the rise of modern Pentecostalism 120 years ago or so now was the part a part of that seedbed part of the soil of that eruption was that was basically this. Here's, the, here's what we, I teach in Pentecostal spirituality. We talk about the rise of modern Pentecostalism. And then as I said, look, low about the end of the 1800s, basically here's the deal. People thought the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Everything is crashing. Jesus must be coming soon. Therefore, we need, we need to live right. And we need to win the world for Jesus. And if we're going to do either one of those things, we need the Holy Ghost. And if we need the Holy Ghost, we need to know we got him. Ergo, the rise of modern Pentecostalism. 
we need the Holy Spirit, we need to know we got him more than just feeling a certain way. So we said, oh, it looks like people knew that they had an aha when they began to speak in a language they had not learned. They began to prophesy. What I'm saying is, I, I want to make a commitment to you to keep this in front of us. Jesus Christ is coming again. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that we're going to set this building on fire and go live in cardboard boxes out on the street. That doesn't, the, the, his, people believe that Jesus was, have been coming again for centuries and, and, they have, and, they have, and they have made plans for generations to follow and built buildings and made plans and left, left endowments and all those kinds of things. We do that, we prepare, we prepare for as long as it takes. But in terms of our attitude and our expectation and our readiness and our reverence, we need to, man, Think about living each day like he was coming the next day. And you might say, well, Dav, what if I live that way and, I, and, I, and, then, I, and, I, and then I just I, I pass away and I, I die before Jesus comes back? Congratulations. You, you have lived the most fruitful, effective, and, and you, your life will be the most rewarded. There is nothing more effective, more fruitful, more exciting than a life that is lived anticipating Jesus is coming back. But you, can, but you can begin to smell it when the church forgets he's coming. They begin to become carnal. They become, when I say social, I mean they, they place the second commandment above the first. They redefine the first commandment to accommodate the second. They, 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 become, they become godless, secular, weak and eventually corrupt. But the Bible says that those who have, these, have this hope, those who possess this hope of Christ's return, it does something to them. They purify themselves. It changes the way that they live. But you, you, but you can smell it. You can smell it on somebody who believes he's coming because they got a different song. They got a different attitude. They, they don't seem to be as bothered. They don't seem to be as afraid of things. They don't they can shirk off things that, that, that are afraid of everybody else because they're not living trapped by the temporary. They're possessed by a promise of something greater. Oh, Barney, he said like the weddings have a smell. They can smell the bridegroom, he said. Oh, Barney, I heard you, and it blessed me too. You and me are just going to sit here and get blessed. Oh, friends, what if we lived like he was coming? What if we lived it, and all of a sudden, ooh, he is. Oh, my goodness. May it make you good, good parents, good friends, good Christians. <laughs> well, I'm starting to think of all the things that, that, that some of the guys I read about. Sometimes, you don't take this wrong. Sorry, Facebook. So, don't. Sometimes I want to take a big, I don't, Ed, help me. I'm going to take a big ad in the paper and say, I promise, you come to Heritage Church. Oh, I should not say things. I should not say things. What I'm saying is we will not, I, you know what? I mean, if, if pastors live like Jesus was coming, they would not do dumb things. Whew, I dodged a bullet. I dodged a bullet of my own making just now. Oh, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for my helpmate saying, stop, stop. 
But they would. If they just believed he was coming, they wouldn't be dummies. The resurrection of Jesus Christ also means that nothing is impossible. All things are possible. Why is it? Why is it? Because, look, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 21, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These, this surpassing greatness of power, are in accordance or in equal to the same as the working of the strength of his might. I know that those are, those are, those are wooden participles and verbs stuck together to try to make a point. But these are, in other words, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe is equal to the flexing of God's divine muscles that he exerted in raising Christ from the dead. When did God flex at the resurrection? That's what it says. The working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, in case you didn't know. In case you think something's left out. He is above it all and, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. No other name but Jesus. Somebody should say his name. Now to him who is able to do, verse 3, chapter 3 now says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to that power that works within us. The same power. He said that power. You've got to know the power that he has toward you, which is the same that he exerted when you raised Christ from the dead. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to that power that's at work in us right now. You say, I don't feel that. Well, you need to believe it. You need to know it, Paul said. You're not going to feel it. It's not going to be natural. You need the Holy Ghost to help you understand that there is something powerful inside the church. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, anything could happen. Any marriage could come back. Any addiction can be shaken off. Any diagnosis can fall back off. Anything dead can come back to life. There is nothing, nothing outside the limitations. There is no boundary. There is no, there is no boundary. You don't say except that. There is no except that. Nothing is impossible. Oh, you can't see that. You say, oh, no, church, you can. Nobody's ever seen 10,000 people born again and baptized in the Holy Ghost and belonging to the church in one county at one time. First of all, First of all, yes, they have. We just haven't seen it around here yet, but that's yet. It's absolutely coming. I used to think 10,000 was a big deal till that guy, Carlos Anacondia, saw 80,000 people in a month. A month. 
I heard that. I said, oh, I got to get my believometer going. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is working in us. And it's just working. It's just working. It's working right now. Say it's working. It's that where it's working right now. That's why things are happening in your life right now. Sometimes, sometimes it's instant. Pow, bang, pow. But sometimes, other times, it's just working. It's just like Jesus said that it's like the woman who needs yeast in the dough. It's just working. It's just, just being worked into your life. You've got to set back, a fall back, a step back, whatever things. And you know, and the things, and all of a sudden, but it keeps working. It keeps working. He keeps working. Right now, he's working. Some of you, he is working in your life right now. Oh, and then sometimes you dopes, you dopies. Sometimes you just get dopey and you do something dumb. I'm not going to look it in the eyes. I'm going to look up. People do dumb things. They do dumb things. And then they think, oh, no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then all of a sudden they, they, start, they start, here it is. Oh, no, I've blown it. I've ruined it. I'm over. My life is done. I've made all these bad choices. Now what? And then all of a sudden they begin to notice he's working. There he is again. You can't stop him. You can't stop him. He's going to keep working. Nothing is impossible. There is no, there is no such thing as there, your failure is not final. Because he is working. The resurrection of Jesus Christ matters because it means that nothing is impossible. Bring it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ matters because of all of that. If he's coming again and nothing is impossible, that means not only that your, your failure isn't final, but your death is not final. Death has been defeated. Take that, Freud. We do not live in, in, in death avoidance. We are not afraid of death. We don't have to escape into a world of fantasy. We live instead in a world of faith. If he lives, you too will live. You feel that this morning? I want you to feel that this morning. There's, you can be in this room sitting right here and have absolutely no fear of death. It doesn't have to torment you. I don't care what kind of clothes they put on Halloween time. No, death is... That's a, ooh, you're so, death is, nah, death has been defeated. His resurrection is, because his resurrection is true, it is unshakable assurance of yours. This is a Bible. John 14, 19, Jesus said, after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now that starts now. That starts now. And then that same Holy Ghost is going to be is hovering somewhere in a way that I don't even need to understand. But there's going to come a day with the same Holy Ghost. See that in that you that you do that temple of the Holy Spirit. He takes that serious. Someday he's bringing it back. You say, well, that's not possible. I know. But nothing is impossible. 
You think about what he had to do with Jesus. Body totally torn apart to shreds. Holy Spirit had to come and weave it back together. Bring it back together. Oh, isn't he a wonderful? He does that right now. He's, he weaves things together right now in your life. Start weaving things together. Be patient. Let the Holy Spirit go to work. Look, here's the thing. If he can pull your dead carcass out of the grave a century from now, then he can touch your carcass today. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse starting at verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does, nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable, pardon me, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You will not go forever into the dirt. You will, sim you will not simply disappear. You will not simply cease to be. You will rise again. Let me repeat the message again from 1 Thessalonians 4. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep so that you, not, you will not grieve as those who have no hope. We believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus matters because it assures us of our own resurrection and his glorious return. You can't repeat that enough. It helps us from getting too caught up, too distracted, too diluted by this life. Live it to the abundance. Live blessed. Live full. Be generous. But know this, there's a lot more to come. Because of all of this, we've got to deal with the next part. The resurrection of Jesus also means that judgment is real. He's returning. We are rising. And judgment is real. Isn't that funny? Everybody's omenometer just got quiet again. Stick that in. Start. Don't. I should say. Don't. Hey. Don't sit on your omenometer. Get it back out. Let me try that again. Judgment is real. Well, I know. I, once again, if we people all start with pastors and leaders, people believe that judgment was real. We would not be so dumb. You would not be dumb. You would not be so dumb. You would not do dumb things. Yes, he can restore. Yes, he'll redeem you. I know your failure is not final. All that stuff is true. But if you just understood that judgment is real, you would not, you would not just, oh, I'll just do this. You would not. The fear of the Lord is a good governor. 
It's an influencer. It promotes good decisions. Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, verse 20, 26 through 29, For just as the Father has life in himself, so even so he gave the Son also to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Paul preached that it is, in fact, the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. Why does the resurrection matter? Listen, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that authorizes him to be the judge of all mankind. Acts chapter 17, verses uh, 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 30 and 31 says this. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. All people everywhere. Say that. And then Paul actually says God is now declaring that. So one more time, all of our friendly, wonderful social media theologians that say that repentance is no longer necessary, you need to read the Bible. Stop it. Right in, God is now declaring. Now. Paul is talking. Yeah, the apostle of grace says now God is declaring all people everywhere should repent. Repent is still a part of the message of the gospel. It doesn't necessarily mean, oh, feel bad, hit yourself, flail yourself, nail yourself to a dingbat cross like our Philippine friends do. Stop doing that. Just recognize that something is wrong, reject it, and return to Christ. Return to God. You've got to turn away from the nonsense. You're not, it's not a work. You're not earning anything, but you've got to st repent means stop being dumb. They should repent. They should recognize repent is an awakening. Stop living in the dark. Coming back to the light. Repent means come home. Everybody say come home. Repent means come home. Stop living with the pigs. Come home. Repent doesn't mean God is mad at you. Repent means God's list. when he sees you, he will run toward you. Come home. Because he, because, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Judgment means we don't get away with anything, nor do we have to ever give up anything. Everything is recorded. Everything will be rewarded. Judgment means that all of our life will end up on the scales of divine justice with Jesus Christ himself as the judge. The resurrection of Jesus Christ matters because it assures us of a real and final judgment. A couple more things and we'll be done. The resurrection also makes this certain. We know our sins are forgiven. Then you want to try that whole sentence with me? We know our sins are forgiven. 
<laughs> oh, you should have a wonderful day from here on out. Everybody say it. Everybody say it with me. We know our sins are forgiven. How many of them? How many? Oh, no, limitless. We, let's say it again. We know our sins. They have been cut off, set loose, sent away, never seen again. Far as the east is from the west, sea of forgetfulness, gone. Gone, 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 gone. Stop bringing it up. Stop bringing it up. Stop bringing it up. Stop grieving the Lord. Stop, stop blaspheming the cross of Christ by bringing up your own sin. Your sins have been forgiven. We know it. That's what Romans chapter 4 says. Those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions, it's our transgressions that took him to the cross, but he was raised because of our justification. Meaning he was, when Christ is raised from the dead, that is the signal, the sign, the shout from heaven that said, it's settled, justified. The account is totally settled forever. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it is just as if I'd never sinned. Wow. Resurrection of Jesus Christ matters. We know our sins are forgiven. Finally, because he rose from the dead, how we live matters. You, you, you and I can live with, 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 uh, with, with, with we, we can live courageously. We can, our, our life has meaning, friends. Every moment of every day, of every year of your life has meaning. Because he rose from the dead. Because he's, why? Because he rose again, so will you. He is returning. There is judgment. All that means your life matters. Here's what the scripture teaches us. The scripture teaches us that because of this, you and I should live courageously, desiring to please the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a little bit long. First 10 verses. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. We do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage. What This should characterize our lives. We are of good courage, and we prefer to be absent from the body, be home with the Lord. Therefore, we also, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. While we live in this body, though we long to, because, you feel that? Because we long to be with the Lord. Paul is saying, I'm here, but I long to be with him. I'm a, Paul is captured with an awareness of eternity. And because of that, he said, I live to please him in this body. What I do today, I do to be pleasing to him. 
Because I've got him on my heart. I've got him on my mind. I've got eternity with him filling me. So I live today in this moment with good courage. And I want to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Because of his resurrection, friends, we live deliberate, reverent, obedient, God-pleasing lives. Furthermore, we live strong lives, meaningful lives, unshakable lives, courageous lives, knowing what Paul says, nothing we do for the Lord is in vain. It is impossible when you live for Jesus for your life not to matter. Whether or not is recorded, whether or not people give you trophies or plaques or applauses, doesn't matter. You are, because what you do for him is not in vain. Here's what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul is the great therefore apostle, right? Therefore, because that's true, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be immovable. And listen, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. Nothing you do for the Lord is in vain. Everything you do for him matters. All you have done will matter. All you have yet to do matters. Therefore, live with courage. Live pleasing to the Lord. Live strong and immovable lives. Always abound in the work of the Lord. Live expecting his return. Live anticipating standing before him. Live knowing that your sins have been forgiven and that your life matters now. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the difference. It makes all the difference. Let's stand together as we close today. Can we give the Lord uh, 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 just an expression of gratitude today? Can we give the Lord thanks and praise? Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. Your heads bowed across this room. Let me ask you again. Are you ready for his return? <laughs> Here I am trying to give an altar call and I'm giving a praise shout. That's all right. Are you go ahead if you got it. Are you ready for his return? Are you ready for Jesus Christ to rend the skies and return right now? Because if you are not ready, you need to get ready. If you are not ready, you need to come home. You need to come home. If you're not ready, just come home. If you're not ready, come home. Come to Jesus right now. I mean, literally, just Lord, turn away from whatever it is. If you're not required to understand it all, all that you need to know is that your Heavenly Father is calling you home. If you're not ready for Jesus, if you're not ready to meet Him right now, you're not ready for His return, you, haven't, you have not said, Lord Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. I accept what you have done for the forgiveness of my sins. Come by your, by your Spirit. Come live in my life. I receive you into my life right now. If you have not received 
Christ. If you have not, you need to come home today. Is there anyone here this morning you are ready right now to come home? I want you to lift your hand right now. Right now, lift your hand. Everyone's head is bowed. We're getting ready to close this service. But don't go here without coming home. Come on, let me see your hand. You say, today, Dad, I need to come home. I need to receive Christ. I need to turn away from the stuff. I need to come to Jesus today. I need to receive Christ as my Lord. All right, friends, I'm looking around the room. I want to give you another moment to respond. This next service, we're going to celebrate with a half a dozen or so people who, have, who are making public their confession of Christ in water baptism. It's going to be great. We'll get the close of next service. You're welcome to hang around. Have a good time again if you'd like. Heavenly Father, now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would capture this, our hearts in this house, Lord, with a, with a great passion for the return of Jesus Christ. Help us live with that sense of anticipation that it would promote in us righteousness, wisdom, strength, steadfastness, great hope. We give you thanks for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.